new CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. Time to set it up! New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violin Island, you got him. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Hoisty Colors podcast. I am your host, Stephen Igo, and this podcast will be a simple one as it is a complete replay, essentially, of Baseball Media Day. We will have the complete interviews for you guys, so not going to talk too much as this is already going to be a long podcast. For those of you that enjoy baseball, ECU, once again, high expectations heading into the 2022 season. We had the chance to catch up with a host of players uh, all three coaches, Cliff Goblin, assistant coach Jeff Palumbo, pitching coach Austin Knight, and we also talked to the players, Zach Agnos, Ryder Giles, Jake Kuchmaner, C.J. Mayhew, Carson Wisenhunt, and Bryson Worrell. So we're going to bring you all the complete audio of those interviews. ECU preseason ranked as high as number eight per collegiate baseball, which I'm not a big fan of. Their poll, for obvious reasons, for those of you that follow the sport, they're they just do some weird stuff out there. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but more importantly, D1 Baseball has ECU ranked at number 12. Baseball America has the Pirates ranked number 15. Perfect Game has ECU ranked number 13. There's no really official college baseball poll. It's kind of weird. So there's like a million polls. Really, there's like a handful. But most people in the industry kind of respect D1 Baseball. Kendall Rogers, Aaron Fitt, Eric Sorensen do a great job over there. And then Baseball America kind of has a reputation as well in the industry. So those two polls are kind of the most reasonable. I feel like anywhere in the 15 range is fair for this team, considering what's coming back and considering the questions they have. But, you know, Cliff Galvin's built a pretty elite culture, and this this program continues to roll. But they have a lot to replace this year, including All-Americans Connor Norby, Gavin Williams, and Thomas Francisco, along with catcher Seth Cadell. Uh, and their two two most experienced uh, bullpen arms from a year ago, and Cam Colmore and Matt Bridges. So we'll talk to the players about that. We'll talk to the coaches as well. Let's go ahead and get started. We will go with the same order that we got it in person inside Clark Claire Stadium this morning. Again, ECU baseball season will start, I believe, on February 18th against Bryant in a three-game series inside Clark Claire Stadium and what should be a very exciting year for baseball. But we're going to start first with the man we talked to first earlier this afternoon on Monday. It is Carson Wisenhunt, the projected ace of this pitching staff. He pitched against Vanderbilt last year in the second game of the Super Regional, went toe-to-toe for five innings with Jack Leiter, who ended up being a top-ten pick in the MLB draft. And so we will talk to Carson about returning expectations and everything else that he learned from last year. Here is Carson Wisenhunt. The excitement of the I mean, the excitement's always there. Um, it's always the, the beginning of the year. You never know what to expect, but you always have the goals that you want to achieve. I mean, we talk about them all the time, but for us, it's like the team aspect and kind of being there for one another. What did you learn last year? 
The biggest thing was kind of talking with uh, Cam, Bridgie, Gav, and Smitty. Um, they taught me a lot, especially in the fall. Because, um, I mean, in freshman year, I was a two-way coming out of that. I was pitching only in the fall. Me and Gavin kind of competed with each other, and I learned what it takes to, to pitch every weekend. And, I mean, it was a lot. Um, but kind of going off of that, you have to prepare yourself every every day to kind of go out there and compete. A lot of preseason polls have you guys very high up in the rankings, but clearly trying not to pay attention to that, I'm sure. How do you block all that noise out when there's so much hype around the program this year? Uh, for me, it's I try to stay off of social media. Um, I try not to focus on it, just focus on my teammates and myself to prepare the way I need to and kind of do what I need to do every day to go out there and compete. Carson, any specifics in your game that you want to try to improve on this year that you're like, all right, I need to get better at this this year? Uh, for me, it's filling up the zone more. Um, just kind of attacking over the white and making my defense work. And if the hitters hit it, I mean, that's that's what part of the game. Um, just kind of keep improving on my mental side as well. What did you gain from playing with the collegiate national team? Um, the experience from that was I talked with all the coaches and then the catchers and stuff about what I was doing and kind of if they noticed any differences pitch to pitch and kind of what they were seeing from myself and what I could work on each day to kind of improve what they were noticing if there was any differences. So it's getting some you know, different perspectives. No doubt. New pitching coaches here at Austin I've been working with you guys last year. So kind of what's that transition been like for you guys? Uh, I feel like the transition has been good, um, especially with him helping last year. Um, he just kind of walked right in and kind of the only thing he really needed to learn was the new guys and kind of work with them. Like he knew all the older guys and what we had and kind of <clears throat> what we needed to work on as well. Um, so I feel like he kind of took his place and helped each guy with what he needed to. And he helped me a lot with the mental side and kind of shortening my arm path a little bit to make it easier for me whenever season starts. Love the hair. That is fabulous. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I Thank you. Yeah. So, speaking of that, last year you had a fall a decent amount. Is that, is that a goal to keep it on more this year? Uh, yeah, me and, me and Coach Godwin had a few talks about that one. Um, the goal is to keep it on a lot more this year so it's not falling off, so I don't get yelled at. Um, but it's part of it. I'll, I'll get yelled at every once in a while to get a cut, but. Michigan, you were a two-way guy. Any, uh, you go back and forth with Coach Gowan about, hey, let me swing the bat every now and then? No. Um, coming off of freshman year, I kind of realized I needed to take a step back and realize what I wanted to do. Um, and pitching's always been that thing. And I talked with him about it, and he kind of agreed. And from then on, I feel like this is kind of where I belong. You took the fall off um, from, doing, from playing. Um, how has it felt getting back into it? I mean, it feels great. Um, taking the fall off, I, I learned a lot about myself and my body, and I got to just work out and kind of improve on the little things, especially the mental game. Um, but now getting back into it, it's kind of getting back into the compete mode where I want to be out there with my teammates and kind of see what we have and kind of go against each other. That's Carson Wisenhunt talking about his experiences last year and how that has helped him. And I apologize, you guys probably can't hear the question, but so well, I didn't have a boom mic, so... But you can probably gauge what the question was just based on the answer that the players will give. All right, next up on the interview list is fellow pitcher C.J. Mayhew, who's expected to operate out of the bullpen this year. C.J. is in his third year at ECU, had a really productive freshman season, and then came back last year after the COVID-shortened year and really 
was was dominant for most of the year, ranking near the top of the of the team in appearances. He will anchor the bullpen this year, especially with Colmore and Bridges moving on. So here is lefty C.J. Mayhew. All right, questions for C.J.? C.J., how do you maybe compare this year to the last two? In your third year going here, you have a lot of experience under your belt. Have you taken on more of a leadership role at all in different teams? Yeah, obviously, uh, I would say taking on a bigger leadership role, but that's from learning it from past guys that's been here. Say Bridgie, Cam, and Smitty taught me a lot about being a leader and taking what they told me and just applying it to this year's team. CJ, you work kind of all different innings and all different situations. What do you like doing the most? <laughs> I just like getting the ball going out there pitching. Uh, I don't really worry too much about when or where I'm pitching. This is when they call my name, I'm ready to go. What's the key, I guess, staying ready? We talk, well, we talk about a lot, so just staying locked into the game. I mean, you can veg out every once in a while, but staying locked in, knowing like what's going on and reading the hitters on their team, and that keeps me locked in. A lot of young catchers this year. Has uh, anybody really stood out to you? Yeah, uh, Ryan McChrystal stood out. Um, I think he's grown up a lot in the little time that we've been here. So. A lot of expectations. How do you block out? Ask her, how do you block out all the noise, and et cetera, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Staying off social media as much as I can, really. Uh, just, you know, if you look on there. We always talk about it. If you believe it when it's good, you believe it when it's bad. So staying off of it as much as I can. It's supposed to be an exciting time to be a part of the program. Last I saw, closing in on 2,000 season tickets sold. Um, do you kind of feel that energy leading up to the season starting in less than a month? Oh yeah, the energy's building up, but uh, you know we we don't we don't try to look too far ahead. Uh, just take it day by day, and you know try to get one percent better today, and then obviously when it comes, we'll be ready. CJ, we just talked to Carson about his hair. Like who has the best hair on? The <laughs> I'd say Zach Agnos. Good hair. Y'all give uh, Carson any mess because his hat always falls off. Like, what's up with that? How does he, how does he get his hat to stay on? You know, I don't <laughs> I really don't know. We'll give him some duct tape so it keeps falling off. <laughs> yeah, we'll staple it. For you guys, I mean, it seems like y'all have fun. Y'all don't have fun, but also know the downstairs. Coach Guy wants to go to Bridge. What can you say about that? Your third year in the program, kind of how how invested you guys are in this culture. Yeah, the guys, you know, especially being around the pitchers. Me, we, uh, you know, we we know when to, I guess you'd say, have fun and when to lock in. But uh, we always talk about it flipping the switch. And you know, when we step in between the lines, it doesn't matter practice, game. We're locked in on everything we do. How's practice going so far? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, just being out there with the guys every day, you know, can't take it for granted. Every day is a gift. So. Such a great year last year. How do you set, you know, whether that's personal or team goals for yourself to kind of hold yourself accountable? This last year, unbelievable season. Yeah. Uh, what we did last year is last year. So, you know, we're just focused on this year. Can't get satisfied with what we've done last year. It's uh, 
coming to the field every day, having that edge about you, you know, believing that you're the best, but preparing like you're the worst. Zach, going through what he did this offseason, how have you guys kind of rallied around him? You know, maybe been part of the second thing here he's been friends. Yeah. Um, no, Zach, he's, <laughs> he's my roommate, so we've, uh, we're always pretty close, but, uh, you know, I think the team came together when that happened, and, uh, you know, we helped him through a tough time. At this point in the year, are there any, like, sort of benchmarks that you are looking to be at, just kind of personally, like, you know, is it, you know, control, you know, velocity, anything like that, that you're, you want to hit at this point in the year in January? I mean, obviously just being, the like, the best pitcher I can, but it's more team goals for me. Um, I want to do whatever I can to help the team win, so. Who's the uh, toughest guy to try and strike out in your own squad? Uh, Zach. Yeah. Did you say that because he's your roommate? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if I've ever struck him out, honestly. Yeah. That's CJ, and he's got a, a bright future ahead of him in baseball, and obviously a lot still left to accomplish at East Carolina. Really love his mentality on the mound. Next up on the interview list is Zach Agnos. And man, what a difficult offseason it's been for Zach. He lost his father, Nico, unexpectedly earlier this offseason. Really difficult situation for the Agnoses. And obviously Jake, his older brother, pitched three years at ECU before going on to the Major League Baseball draft. And then Jake had Tommy John earlier this offseason or arm arm surgery and it's just been a difficult time and then to lose your father I can't even imagine for Zach and for Jake but uh, Zach's been trying to compartmentalize that handle baseball as well this this offseason so we get into that with Zach he handled it extremely well I hear him talk about how much his teammates have have lifted him up during this process and more here is Zach Agnos who will be starting somewhere on the infield this season. Uh, I remember Coach Godwin sitting in my house on my house visit, and he's like, he's like, it's, it's going to be the best time of your life, and he's like, it's going to fly by. And I was in high school, I was a young kid, I was like, yeah, didn't think much of it. And then my freshman season got cut, and then last year was the first full year, and now I'm on my third year, and it's crazy to think about. I, I had a talk with my mom before I left for school, and she said the same thing, and she started getting pretty emotional about it because I'm the baby of the family, so it's crazy to me. It's flown by, that's for sure. Coming into this year, a lot of hype surrounding the team, um, but realistically all you can control is your personal stuff. How exactly are you, you know, setting expectations for yourself, setting goals for yourself? What are some things you're trying to do personally? Uh, for me, this year has just been focusing on my teammates, uh, being a good leader, being there for everybody because they've been there for me and they've been there for each other. And I think that um, me and Coach Godwin have had some talks about it. And when I'm worried about other people and trying to be a good leader, then that's when I'm at my best. And that's when we get the most production out of our team. So that's the one thing that I've really tried to strive to do. Played a lot of third. Are you willing to move around a short second, kind of whatever Coach Godwin needs you to do? Have you done most any of that this preseason, this offseason? Yeah, so all fall is that shortstop. Um, 
you know, I love it. I feel comfortable anywhere in the infield. Coach Galvin knows that. We've had a lot of talks. Um, we get some working at second base recently. You know, whatever. Say someone goes down, God willing, nobody does. But someone, something happens to someone. Um, yeah, I can bounce around. I can play anywhere in the infield. So feel comfortable with it. Your ability last year to work counts, draw walks, is that something you kind of take pride in, think about, or does it just kind of happen when you're in the box? Just kind of happens. Uh, you know, we got our approach. We got pretty in-depth approach with the pitcher we're going to face. We know pretty much, I mean, pretty much what's coming every pitch and where they're going to try to do, where they're going to try to attack me. I know that they were always going to try to attack me with fastballs away. Um, so, I mean, I really do take pride in it and something we work on a lot in the cages. We have the V-Flex to work on tunneling and um, in BP if we take a pitch and it's like our last pitch, we get out of the cage because Coach Godwin always says, Taking the balls is more, as important as swinging at strikes, so something we take pride in. How much does playing in those big games at the end of last year help you guys as you get into it this year? Uh, a ton because, you know, I know we're going to be in those situations again, and a lot of us are returning, so we're going to have that experience. And, you know, it kind of gives us an edge. I was uh, One of the freshmen actually was over at my house last night watching a football game, and I was just talking about how fun the regional was because I was scrolling through. I found myself on the baseball Twitter that we got back, and it was a regional game, and I said, dude, it's the most fun, and it kind of gives us something that, like, we need to play well because we want to host a super regional here, not just a regional, so. Zach, for you this offseason, I know it's a tough time. How was this Pirate Baseball family rally? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, it's – I, I'm speechless. Um, you know, everybody talks about how great the fans are, how great everybody is, and how it's a family atmosphere. And I mean, that that truly has been 100% accurate this off season. Uh, they've been great to me, not even just me. They've been great to Jake, and Jake's dealt with some adversity with his arm. And um, but they've been really great to my mom and my sister and my other brother John, who um, you know, who have been there for me and. You know, I've had people reach out 24-7. Um, you know, Coach Godwin's taking great care of me. I mean, he gets annoyed with me when I say it because every time I'm in his office, he I always tell him, like, how much of a blessing he is to me and my family for what he's done. And, um, you know, coming to the field, you know, having my teammates there for me, it's, uh, it's something that's really special. I don't think many places offer it. Um, and, you know, I just have, like, like I said, I have great people taking care of me. Um, you can't really say enough about Pirate Nation and what they've done for me and my family. Has it been tough at all to compartmentalize baseball versus everything else going on, or just getting on the field going to help you get away from it? Yeah, it does, and it, it definitely helps. And I will say one of the hardest things I've done is uh, when we scrimmage Liberty, um, you know, I was in the – before every game I always used to try to find my parents, and I knew my mom was always – right above the third base dugout with the families where the bleachers and I always knew my dad was in right field except for last year because of COVID he sat up in the bleachers but when he got to move back out there he was out in right field for the regional and I always look over there after the infield meeting and I remember looking up at my mom and she had her sunglasses on and I could tell she was upset just by the body language and then I looked out to right field and didn't see him and came in the locker room and I lost it. I was sitting in there, and you know, I know Turner talked about it at a banquet a couple of years ago. But Phil, our janitor, gave Turner a big hug, and man, he gave me one of the biggest hugs I've ever 
received, and he said that he's watching, just smiling, and it was one of the coolest moments of my life. And then go in the bathroom, and I'm crying, and then I walk back out, and Cooch Manor's sitting right there waiting for me, and he gave me a big hug. So it's definitely tough, definitely tough. But you know, I told Coach Godwin, it's uh, we're at the field quite a bit, and we're doing a lot. So uh, I said it makes me look forward to it a lot more because I get to spend time with my teammates and distracts me a little bit. Do you think that time? Of- Type of family atmosphere makes things a little bit easier to come, you know, 50, 60 games into the season to keep pushing? Yeah, for sure, because it, it builds that trust. Um, you know, we always talk about it. You know, I can rely on every guy in that locker room. Uh, I know, I hope, I know a lot of them can rely on me. And, you know, once we're, once we're tired after that 60 game and we're going into the conference tournament or going into regional, and, you know, I can trust that. Ryder Giles, if he's not feeling good, he's still going to be able to go out and give his best, even though his body doesn't feel good. So, Zach, the, uh, we, we talked to Carson and CJ, and they have awesome hair, but they have given the best hair title on the team to you. Really? How honored are you by that? <laughs> you know, that's incredible. <laughs> I was, I'm roommates with CJ, so we always go back and forth, and his girlfriend will be over. We'll joke about it sometimes. I never heard that out of him, so... I'm gonna have to hold them to it, but no, nah, I mean they both got really good. They both have really good hair. Carson's a little crazy. CJ's is a little more under control, and I forgot, I forgot where CJ told me he got his inspiration for his hair, but he got it from somewhere. But I think I'm gonna stop doing the mullet. I'm just gonna let it grow out and give it its true potential. <laughs> All right, moving on on the interview list, we move to Bryson Worrell, who is entering his fifth year at ECU, and a little surprised that. He lasted this long in terms of when he was a second or third year player. He just seemed like a guy that was bound to go early into the Major League Baseball draft, given his potential, given his upside. But uh, was not drafted with a shortened draft after the COVID year. Decided to come back now for a fifth year after not being drafted last year as well. I asked him about this in this interview. Was there any hesitation to return? You'll hear him say no and why. And so here's Bryson Worrell. You're likely starting center fielder maybe a corner spot based on how well Riley Johnson has practiced this preseason but uh, he'll be starting somewhere in the outfield on the 18th of February here is Bryson Worrell coming back for a fifth year kind of take me through those times when you're maybe looking at potentially going professional and then you want to come back next year was there any hesitation or were you always committed to come back um yeah I don't think there's any hesitation um I kind of had it planned out if I wasn't going to get drafted then um Terms of plan to come back for a fifth year, I mean, when else am I going another opportunity to come back? I mean, I got the COVID year back, so I'll take advantage of it. Do you feel like, as you know, one of the, the seniors on the team, you can be kind of that leader, that guy that some of the young guys look up to? I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, especially when you've been here long enough. I mean, you've seen a lot of things, and I think my word is really respected around here. And I think when I say something, I mean, the younger guys can take that advice and really use it for the future. I mean, yeah, um, those in the game, especially last year, Vanderbilt means a tough loss, but you got to take the positive out of it. I mean, it's I mean, it's hard to take the positives out of it when you lose a tough game like that, but um, especially coming down to the wire and the regional, um, using those experiences for the future. How's practice been so far? How's it been getting back with the guys? Uh, it's been really good. I mean, 
we had a great fall. I mean, a lot of guys worked hard. Um, freshmen starting to get into routine, so something we'd like to see. Bryson, uh, you faced some adversity as the season began last year, but you got better and better and better as the season went on. Just stuff that you learned from that season that you're going to kind of take it into this fifth year. Um, you got to take it one pitch at a time. I mean, starting off the year last year, I definitely didn't have my best stuff, but um, kind of settled in towards the middle of the season. Um, finished the year. I mean, I really wasn't trying to do anything special towards the end of the year, just play my game. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing leading into this year. You had one of the, the bigger hits with the, the double against Charlotte. What do you kind of remember about that at bat? And I know you want to make more, more memories, but that was a pretty special moment. <laughs> no, it definitely was. Um, back in the region, my shoulder still kind of hurting pretty bad. Um, I got that hit. Sitting on second. I think the biggest part of that was actually scoring. Uh, after Lane Hoover got that big hit after that, um, sliding across home. Um, we watched the video the other day, and jumping with Zach. I mean, it's a it's a great memory. We just talked to Zach kind of about obviously the tragedy he went through. How have you guys rallied as a team around him, kind of lifted him up? Um, yeah, it's awful. But um, I think when when times like that, you really have to count on the people who you trust and love. And um, I think we really rallied around Zach, and I think just being there for him has really helped him out. Freshmen coming in, I mean, you have a lot of experience. How do you parlay some of that experience to them to where you, know, you kind of are a voice of reason and also, a, hey, you know, we've had some great years in the past and I want you to get to that you know, level to playing a regional, playing super regional. What do you kind of say to get through to them? Um, like I said before, I think it's just past experiences. I think when you've been through something and you're able to give them a story that someone can relate to, then I think they really pick up that faster and saying, hey, do this because I said so. That's Bryson Worrell, and we move on to our next interview, Ryder Giles, who is entering his fourth year in the program. Slick fielding shortstop. Really, really good at, at shortstop in terms of just turning double plays, making the routine play, making the spectacular play. And Ryder, honestly, one of the better interviews of the day. Really composed, smart, heady guy. You can tell he's kind of a team leader kind of a calming voice out there and he's now a fourth year guy and will be one of the leaders of this year's group so here's Ryder Giles talking about all that and much more not all at once please <laughs> <laughs> that's my job but I know that uh, chemistry between guys between second baseman and anybody on the left side of the infield is, is really important so is it like losing Connor and trying to move forward with your second baseman yeah, yeah it's, I mean it's definitely tough you know you play with a guy for a year and uh you know, Norbs and I lived together for two years, so we were obviously really close. But, I mean, I, I don't think that there's really anybody that you could put out there that it's not going to be a great relationship with. So, um, I mean, I think that's one thing we do really good here is everybody's really close, and you can kind of fill a bunch of guys in, and you're really not going to miss a beat. So, it's definitely weird not seeing him here, just being with him for three years. But, at the end of the day, it's same game. So, it's not that big a deal, but... Definitely is a little weird not seeing him every day. How's the offseason been for your preparation? Ready to go your month away, less than a month away? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely ready to go. Um, you know, we we worked so hard in the fall, and you kind of get back from Christmas break, and it seems like, I mean, the season's here, but we, we still do have a month to go, and, um, you know, that's a month to get better each day, and uh, that's kind of what we look at it. Obviously, we're, we're all ready to go, but... What's today? January 24th. I mean, we can't really do anything about February now. So um, we're definitely excited, but just trying to get better every day. 
Roger. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, Roger's your fourth year in this program. You kind of look around the turnout media day, kind of the support you guys received. What's it like being a part of this program where, you know, maybe you guys travel other places, there aren't many people in the stands. It seems to be like a pretty special atmosphere. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's one of the, the main reasons you want to come here. Um, you do come here and it does seem like a family atmosphere. You know, Greenville's a big college town. There's not really, it's not like Raleigh, there's a ton to do. So, um, you know, on a Tuesday night, on a midweek game, we have 4,000 people in the stands. Uh, you don't really find that in many places. So it's a, it's a great advantage for us. And it's, I mean, it's four years later. I, I mean, you, know, you lose track of time, but four years later, like it's, it's something that you don't want to take for granted because it doesn't happen everywhere and it's really special. So, um, I mean, we definitely appreciate all the support from everybody, and um, I mean, it's it's one of the coolest feelings to be honest with you. As a group, like, what are some of the big takeaways from the fall? What are some of the things you feel like you guys are where you kind of need to be right now? Um, I think pitching is a big thing. Um, you know, we got a lot of young guys. We we got a lot of young, talented guys, and you know, obviously with. Cooch and Logish and Sailor and all those older guys, Mayhew, all those all those guys. It's a nice blend um, for those younger guys to look up to, and um, I just I just think we're really close, and I think that's going to go a long ways with you know the young talent that obviously hasn't played here before. Um, but I, I think I think we're going to be pretty good. So um, I mean I, I'm just ready to get going to be honest with you. Do you feel like they're fitting in, the young guys? Do you feel like they've kind of just, like, gelled in with the group? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, you know, we bring the guys in in the summer um, before freshman fall, you know. I mean, you move to college and it's a lot at you at one point. So um, I think using that summer is, is, a, is a good way to get the, the guys gelled. And, um, you know, most of the time a lot of older guys are stay back with them. And you kind of form that relationship with, you know, 10, 15 older guys before everyone gets back, and it's like so much at you at one time. And uh, so I, I, I think when we got back from summer break, we got back for the fall semester, we just kind of jumped right into it, didn't miss a beat. It wasn't like it took a week or two to everybody get introduced to each other and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think the guys are jailed pretty good. Who are a couple of the younger guys that have caught your attention? Um, pitchers, position players, or just any? Whoever. Uh, pitchers, I would say Merritt Beaker, um, you know, he's left-handed pitcher, low 90s. He's uh, obviously very talented, but he, he's not intimidated by anything. He just goes out and pitches. And um, so I, I think him, uh, Wyatt Shankman is another guy who's, who's really talented. Um, Trey Savage is not a fun at bat <laughs> against him. I mean, he's a big... Six foot five, six foot six, uh, low to mid nineties, righty with a good breaking ball, and um, Jake Hunter. He's he's another guy that's that's really impressed me. Um, not really the power stuff that Trey has, but gets a lot of outs, and it's. I mean, I, they're all really good to be honest with you. Um, uh, Jacob Jenkins Coward. He's a big first baseman, kind of like Merritt. Um, I would tell Jacob this, but. <laughs> I think he's uh, maybe uh, I don't know how to put this, but I mean he's not scared. That's, that's the big thing. He's not scared, and 
Um, you know, you go out and he's just doing his own thing and he's attacking everything he does and um, he's obviously very talented. So when you put talent with not backing down from anybody, you obviously got a great player and that's that's who all those guys are. Ryder, you guys are ranked in the top 15 in a lot of these baseball polls, but I know you don't want to focus on that. How do you block out <laughs> this preseason hype here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool for the fans, you know. It obviously gives us confidence going into the season and it's it's a good thing for the fans to talk about, but um, you know, we we talk about it all the time. I mean, being ranked in January, it doesn't really – you've obviously heard that from all my teammates, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, it doesn't really get us – it doesn't get us anything. And so, I mean, when it comes down to it, we want to be the number one team at the, in June, the end of June. So that's really what the main focus is. It, it, it is awesome just for, you know, the, all the fans and families and all that good stuff just to – kind of notice the work we've put in in previous seasons and, and all that good stuff. But really, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's from last year. And, um, you know, we just got to focus on today, getting better today, going to lift, practice, and then doing it again tomorrow. So, Coming off a very successful season, how important is a strong start to this year and to kind of carrying momentum over? Is it just kind of you have to start from scratch? Uh, yeah, it definitely is important. You know, obviously, you always want to get off to a good start. Um, I think we used last year as a kind of a confidence boost, but also, you know, obviously we don't have the same team. We don't have Franny, we don't have Norby, Gavin, you know, all those guys that <clears throat> Bridge, Cam, obviously guys that made a lasting impact on our program. So using the confidence we have from last year going forward and then the guys that are still here, um, kind of just keeping it rolling, not missing a step and Realizing that it's a different team, but it's still ECU baseball, so we're going to have the same core principles, but just different people in different roles. And, um, you know, I think if we show up, we should be fine. So, if you look at the, the culture Coach Galvin's kind of instilled here, how much do you feel like that elevates, you know, your game, your teammates' game in terms of, hey, you were obviously talented from the high school, mm -hmm. but by the time you're done here, you're a totally different man, totally different player. Yeah. How does that help you grow? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a trust thing. Um, you know, it kind of frees you up because you know you look around and you got thirty five of your best friends. Like you just go out there and play. You know, they got your back. You got their back. So it's uh, you know it's not like travel ball. You 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 show up. You meet everybody for the first weekend, and then you're kind of doing your own thing. It's it's everybody's pulling for each other. You know, everybody loves each other, and um, you know it, it frees you up to just go play and. You know, whatever it is, whatever happens, you know your teammates got you and you got them, and that's really all that matters, to be honest with you. So, And finally, we wrap up the interview list with Jake Kuchmaner. And Jake is also entering his fifth year as a guy who's a pre – you know, he's been an All-American in the past, has pitched a perfect game, has pitched in a regional, has batted in a regional as a pitcher, He's just about done it all. And he had a frustrating 2021 season. Now looking to bounce back with the 2022 year under new pitching coach Austin Knights. We talk about that, what he's looking to learn from last year, and much more. Here's Jake Kuchmaner to round out the player interviews. How, uh, how fast has it flown by when you look at this, this whole journey for you and everything you've been through? Um, yeah, honestly, it still feels like I'm, I'm 18 sometimes and I just got here. Um, but I don't know. I, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed all of it. Um, it's been a really good experience. A lot of good guys. So um, it's been fast. But yeah, I definitely do it all again. Sure. 
was there ever any thought of moving on after last year, or did you always know that you were going to come back? No, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be done playing. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there was, I think I knew there was more to it, so it really never really crossed my mind, now. I asked some of the other guys how playing in those regional games here, super regional, how, how playing in those big games at the end of the year helped you now as you try to get, get ready. Um, I think it goes to the message that we send to the young guys because a lot of times when we're, you know, we're in the, the heat of the fall and the summer and you're, you're doing your workouts and it's hard and you're like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You fall back on those experiences of like, okay, this is why we're doing this. And then you communicate that message to the younger guys and then it makes more sense for all, for all the reasons why we do everything. Do you feel like that kind of helped with them buying in? Because they've been saying there's a bunch of young guys trying to fit in this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, the way, and especially the way we communicated it down the line, um, I think all the older guys are on the same page of like, hey, this is what we experienced at Vanderbilt and at Louisville in years past. So um, now let's make sure that they're on the same page and then it just makes the learning curve so much faster. How's the transition been with Coach Knight? I know he worked for some last year, but him taking over as a full-time guy, how's that been? Uh, it's been great. Um, he was always around us with Dietz, um, and I just think that their relationship was really good, so I think Dietz probably passed a lot of stuff on to him. So it's felt like the transition's been pretty seamless um, for the most part, and then he communicates really well with us as far as what we need to do, expectations, all you know, our roles everywhere. So... Um, it's been it's been really fun to work with him. For you last year, I mean, going through some of the adversity you went through, and really you've been so successful in previous three years. Like, how maybe frustrating was that to deal with, kind of the ups and downs of last season? Um, yeah, I mean, it was really frustrating. Um, you know, there's a lot of like questioning yourself of like, am I like, what happened, what's going on when you're in it, and then just you know, when I get out of it, it's like start to objectively view what was really going on and um, and then just make adjustments from there and not, you know, try not to read into it any more than just didn't get the results I wanted. But to make the adjustments for this year is uh, kind of what I learned from that. So just get back on the horse, I guess. Jake, we talked to Zach about uh, just this offseason for him, how the team kind of rallied around him. He mentioned specifically you, like, giving him a huge hug and he'll remember that for the rest of his life. Just kind of talk about how you guys have just throwing this offseason around that and kind of uh, rallied around him? Uh, yeah, I think it was a really good uh, bonding moment for us because it, it brings everything into perspective that this isn't the only thing that matters. Like, family matters more um, outside of baseball, and it helps you come back into that. Um, so, um, I don't know. I think, yeah, that's a, it was a huge piece for our whole team. Um, just to put things in perspective that family matters more than anything, probably. Ryder was talking about how um, it's a little odd not having certain people around, whether that's Connor or other people. Um, what's that kind of like for you to all of a sudden see some new faces and some old faces gone um, as you're getting ready to start the season? Um, I think it's the more I'm here, the more I'm understanding that it's just part of it. Um, 
that the constant turnover is going to be there and you've got to adapt with it. Um, you know, obviously we miss guys like Cam and Bridgie, Smitty. Um, those guys are so big for the program and where we're at. Um, but we talk about it, it's like you just have to keep filling in the roles. So, like, now that means my role is bigger and younger guys' roles are bigger, the freshman, the sophomore. Like, every year you've got to step into that new role. Um, whether you're ready for it or not, I think you, I don't know, you just make that decision to, to grow there. And if you embrace it, then it gets easier. If you're afraid of it, then it might be a little bit more difficult. Is it kind of exciting as an older guy seeing these younger players come in and thinking, oh, hey, this is this is our future, while wow, that guy's going to be an absolute stud in a year or two years or three years? Is that kind of fun as a leader? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, as we do well and we perform well, like Coach Godwin, Coach Palumbo, like they're going to – and they do an unbelievable job recruiting anyway, so it's like – we're going to keep getting guys that are good. And then it challenges us as older guys that have been here. It's like, well, my job's not secure anymore because that guy's, that guy's really good at what he does. So, um, But then just, yeah, like passing that on to them, is uh, it's a fun process too. Coach Gallows mentioned kind of the growth of uh, Garrett Saylor with Logan's this offseason. What have you seen from those guys as far as taking a step um, I think it's like a personal thing for them where they're – taking more ownership of their own lives and then that's transitioning into like the baseball thing like I live with with Logish and he takes his his life at home very serious I would probably say more so than in years past and then you see how it reflects onto the field and I would say the same thing for Sailor like um, I think it's just a progression of being here for so many years but you just like start to you know, be able to take care of your business off the field just reflects being able to take care of your business on. We move on now to the coaches. Cliff Godwin entering his eighth year, hard to believe, at East Carolina. He has compiled a record of 258, 130, and 1. And he talked about how difficult of an offseason it's been as he's dealt with COVID personally, also dealt with the loss of a close friend in Nico Agnos, somebody who has supported the program very well obviously with his two sons coming to play at East Carolina. But here is Cliff Godwin uh, talking about a lot in this interview on Media Day in reference to what his players said and more. Uh, no, just first off, I'd like to just say thanks for everybody showing up. Uh, wasn't always like this dating back eight years ago. And to Igo's comment, uh, I think it's the first time we've ever had snow on the ground when we've done baseball Media Day, so everybody can get a laugh out of that. Also, would like to commend our guys that just spoke, our players. Uh, it's kind of a proud father moment for me to just sit back and listen to those guys articulate what their experiences are when you guys ask them questions. And especially Zach, <laughs> I'm sitting back there crying as you guys are asking him about his dad. And Nico was such a staple to Clark LeClaire Stadium and just was – such a, a energy source for me. I mean, I'd walk out in the parking lot and you see a smile on his face and um, just that entire family. I mean, if it wasn't for the Agnos family with Jake and Zach and, you know, Lee and Nico entrusting us to take care of their kids, I mean, who knows how many regionals we would have been a part of. So I just appreciate that about Zach and his faith and the Greenville community helping him get through a very tough situation. And 
I still get emotional about it. I'm actually doing a pretty good job. I'll commend myself right now. I'm not getting choked up. I think I cried enough back there when Zach was talking. But just thank you guys for the support, and uh, we'll let you guys start asking some questions. When you look at that situation, was that was this maybe the toughest offseason that you've had to deal with as a coach? Number one by far. Um, as I've told many people, Obviously, we knew Nico was really sick, and it was day-to-day. And uh, when I got that call from Lee about 12.45 on that Friday afternoon, it's one of those moments where I was emotional. I went to the coach's locker room. Zach was lifting weights. And I go, i got to pull this together because Lee and the family have got to tell Zach this, not me. And so I can remember Zach walking in the, the glass doors you guys entered through, which my office is kind of catacorner from that, and said, hey, Zach, your, your mom wants, to, wants you to call her. And he looked at me, and I said, I don't know anything. And, uh, of course, I was lying to him at the time, and, and after the fact I told him that's the only time I've ever lied to him. But, uh, you know, just – it, there's no textbook there's no there's no uh, manual you don't know what to do and um throughout that situation I just uh after he got the phone his mom of course we were hugging and crying in my office and I said uh hey uh go get your cell phone and stuff and, and I'm putting you in my car and and I don't say this like to get reward for it but that's all I knew what to do is to drive into northern Virginia and so we stopped by his uh house and got some clothes and I drove to Northern Virginia, and the good Lord blessed us with no traffic. Uh, we got there in about four hours and 20 minutes, which probably was the quickest time that you could ever get there where he lives. There's normally a lot of traffic, and, of course, I saw Jake and Lee and John and Katie, and, and it was a very family-oriented or, deal at that time. And uh, I would, God gave me strength. I, did, I wasn't very emotional, and I just was there for about two and a half hours, and I didn't say a whole lot, and I tell people all the time, you know, sometimes you just need to be there for people. You don't need to talk. You don't need to say anything. And then I got back in my car, and I, I drove back to Greenville, and I got back about 1.32 a.m., and we took the team up there for on that Monday for the celebration of life. And, of course, uh, we were crammed on a bus because uh, now it's harder to get multiple buses because of COVID, and people aren't working as much. And so uh, one of our freshmen got COVID, and then a day later I got COVID, and then Colby Bortles got COVID, and covid it, it was hard on me the after parts of it and plus the nico situation but our guys did a really good job maneuvering through it coach how is uh how is the fall been getting back on the field with the guys after something like that and, and then you know having them back here for practice you know getting baseball you know getting into baseball together like I said, with everything going on, I thought our guys did a really good job. Our, our coaching staff did a, a tremendous job. Jeff and Austin and, and Blake and, um, you know, Coach Macias was here. Um, I think I said Coach Knight, uh, Womack, uh, Dennis Wilson, our strength coach, just keeping everything together. Uh, of course, I, I was here once I got out of uh, the protocols to stand uh, inside with COVID, but the our leaders on the team did a great job too. I mean, that, that's the thing. When you hear our guys speak, they 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 get it. You know, the the Matt Bridges and the Cam Colmores and the Tyler Smiths of the world have passed a lot on to those guys, and and they understand how to maneuver through some tough situations. Um, you know, the the winning and losing. I know that 
fans are going to judge me one day, but uh, this fall probably helped me realize, like, at the end of the day, no offense, uh, I don't care how many games I win. I, I got a bigger purpose on this planet than to just win baseball games. How impressed have you been in the last six months, year, two years, with the focus of these guys? I mean, 18 years old, 22 years old, doesn't really matter the focus to push through everything, whether that was you know, issues with you know, family or you know, COVID. They came out here, and when it comes time to work, they work. Yeah, I, I go back to last year, you know, when you're coming off a year where we couldn't play, no fans, and, and to be honest with you, I took it for granted in the moment. It's just, you know, it's taking it day by day, and you're just going out there and uh, taking care of business. And opening day, I think we had to back up the game because of, of rain, and it was really, really cold. We had to go to extra innings, and it's the first time I ever went into the parking lot, and I had ice on my windshield at about midnight. And I was like, man, it was. I knew it was cold. I didn't know it was that cold. And... For our guys to be able to win the conference playing four games in a weekend, like I don't think people really get what they had to go through. I know the coaches do um, because about halfway through the conference season, I was going like, man, this this sucks. This is not fun. It's a marathon, and it's taken me two days to recover after a weekend series. And, and for our guys to win the conference uh, pretty handedly, to be quite honest with you, uh, was really special. And then to host a regional with all the fans and Pirate Nation – uh, I get chill bumps talking about it because it was slammed. They can say there was only 5,000 or 5,500 people here. There was way more than that here. They were hanging over, you know, the, the outfield fence. And uh, we would not probably have won the Charlotte game for sure if we didn't have Pirate Nation behind us. Cliff, I know your thoughts on being ranked highly preseason, but what would you prefer in a perfect world? Do you like the fact that you guys were recognized early on, or do you like – preseason when you're not ranked and people overlook you, which is more motivating for you? Well, if you want me to be totally transparent, which I normally am, is I'd rather not be ranked because then they stay hungry. And I said this to Brian Bailey earlier, you look across college athletics and you pick the sport, football, basketball, baseball, there's more upsets, so to speak, than there's ever been. Why is that? Well, it's because of social media. It's because kids from 18 to 22-year-old cannot handle reading good stuff about themselves and still having an edge about them. And uh, that's why I am the way I am. Look, you, you can like Nick Saban, you can hate him, but it is rat poison. I mean, you look at Bill Belichick, you look at the most successful coaches in the country, and they talk about it being noise or rat poison, whatever it may be. So if I had to pick, I'd say, yeah, but, you know – I can look out there and say that we're talented. I mean, look, we got a really good team on paper, but guess what? Well, that'll get you nothing. Uh, we had a good team in 2017, and, and that's the experience I, I pass along to these guys. Jeff Palumbo, myself, and Womack, we're the only ones that are still here from the, the 17 year. Everybody else has moved on elsewhere. And that was the cool thing about Matt Bridges and Cam Colmore and Tyler Smith last year. They could give them experiences. Hey, guys, like if you don't handle your business, this is what's going to happen. Now, the older guys have heard of me say it so much they probably can recite what I say. But it, it, it's real, man. It's real. And, and I'm happy now, looking back on it, that we had 17 because it gave me a time to reflect. And 
I tell people all the time that the best thing that has happened to ECU baseball since I've been here was us losing the conference tournament championship game in 17 because we would not have had 18. We would not have had 19. We would not have had 2021. And you look at the GPAs that we've had, we wouldn't have had those GPAs. We've been four and a half years with a 3.41 team GPA or higher. Man, that's pretty impressive. That's a credit to our guys, our coaching staff, Rebecca Wade, our academic advisor. Coach, you got a great schedule again this year. A lot of, a lot of tough opponents coming in, going places. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Jeff and I, we, we probably put together probably the toughest schedule that we've ever had. So, uh, That'll be uh, very challenging for us to be able to maneuver through. And look, if we play the way we are capable of playing, then it'll put us in a good position to be where we want to be in the postseason. But if we don't play well at any given day, it doesn't matter who you, you pick on that schedule, we can lose for sure. So it's, it's a good opportunity for our guys to go out there and compete at the highest level. Coach, you've got a couple fifth-year COVID seniors on your roster. I was just curious, like pros and cons to, to dealing with like COVID seniors like that? Well, I think each individual is, is unique. Uh, you, you look at the fifth-year seniors, and, and I hope I get them all right. Uh, this whole COVID year thing has messed me up in my mind. But Bryson, of course, is a fifth-year senior. Coochmaner is a fifth-year senior. Logish and Ben Newton are two junior college guys, but they're fifth-year seniors as well. Bryson Worrell and, and Jake Coochmaner have a chance to be a part of four regional championships, which will be – uh, pretty cool, or three regional championship, three regional championships, but to be able to host four regionals, and uh, I told him that I just thought about that one day. I was like, man, I was on three really good teams here, and we would have hosted three regionals in a row, but you you got a chance to host four regionals. Malcolm, my fact check checks right there. Okay, just making sure you are nodding because I know you know. Uh, but that that's pretty cool. But it is it's a fine line. Um, you know, when those guys come back his fifth years, I was a fifth year senior much different situation than those guys. I wasn't very good when early in my career and I had to become good. So I was hungry um, to keep those guys motivated. The thing I would say about Bryson, he was one guy I was kind of worried about, but he has been really intentional in what he's done and has been a good positive influence on guys that have come into our program, especially the outfielders. And he's not a guy that likes to talk a lot, but he has shared a lot of really good experiences that he's had, good and bad, uh, with those guys, and it, it's helped our program. You mentioned the four games in three days being tough, but did you enjoy only having to scout one team a week as opposed to now you got to go back to scout for that Tuesday midweek game? Hell no. I'll take that Tuesday midweek all the time because the, the, that doubleheader day, and and I, I do take it pretty much personally one game at a time, and, and I look at the opposing pitchers. But if we were playing at home, I'd be up here at like 4.30 in the morning watching video, and then you're getting home at 11 o'clock at night, and then you're having to play on Saturday. I don't, I don't wish that on anybody. So I'll take that Tuesday. I'll take Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, over the four games in three days. Coach, we asked, we asked the players about how playing in the regional, playing in the Super Regional last year helped them as they get ready for this year. How does it help you guys as coaches um, you know, every every regional, every super regional is different. Uh, I know that you can look at my super regional uh, head coaching record and say I suck as a coach. So uh, I, I know what the record is. As I told our team, and Malcolm can give you the accuracy, but uh, I was a part of the first regional or the first super regional team at East Carolina here when I was a player, and we went 0-2, and uh, I made the last out of the super regional on a – 1-0 count. I was a tying run at the plate. I had 15 home runs on the year. I, I remember that moment very vividly. 
Um, and I went for it. Uh, I was sitting on a changeup, got it, and I skied it to second base. I was a left-handed hitter. I just missed it. And uh, every super regional we've been a part of has been different. Uh, our guys were tired in 19, and, you know, we didn't play well enough in the regional to not to be tired. So that was our own fault, and Louisville was very good. Last year we went toe-to-toe with arguably the second-best team in the country with two of the best arms. The past two Super Regionals, we've faced four first-round arms. So, as I've told our guys before, you got to go to Omaha through the front door. And coach, I got it from Coach Bianco at Ole Miss. You can't go in the back door. Everybody's got to know that you're coming. And look, I, I don't know when it's going to be. This is the million-dollar question. Only the good Lord up top knows when it's going to happen. But I know we're doing things the right way. And if we continue to do that, then we're definitely not just going to go to the World Series. We're going to win a national championship as well. Every year we ask you about who's going to replace the, the main guys who left <laughs> or whatever. So, of course, we got to do it again. Uh, Norby Francisco obviously could have a lot of home runs there. Just who do you maybe kind of see replacing that power? Do you see your team maybe scoring runs in different ways this year? First off, and I say it all the time, is you, you don't replace Francisco. You don't replace Norby. You don't replace Gavin Williams. And you don't replace Colmore and Bridgie and Smitty. The, the collective unit needs to, you know, pick it up. And uh, we've got a bunch of guys, in my opinion, that can be very good offensively. Uh, we can run out a team that is very, like, as, as good as defensive team we've ever had here. Or we can go really offensive. Um, makes our jobs as coaches a little bit harder. Um, we're as deep on the mound, if not deeper. And we're as talented on the mound, if not more talented than we've ever been here. Some of it is some youth. But at the end of the day, you know, we had a team meeting yesterday. Would you rather have experience or would you have, rather have very talented young arms down there that are better as a group than we've ever had? I don't know. You flip a coin. So at the end of the day, we just need those guys to be the best version of themselves. And if they're that, then we'll be fine. But, you know, do I think we're going to hit as many home runs as we hit last year? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think we've got a chance to have more guys that have – five to eight, five to ten home runs, one through nine, than we've ever had before. I think we're faster as a team um, this year um, as a unit. So uh, we can be more versatile at stealing bases and, and uh, of course, executing our bunt game. With, like a, I guess, a little less than a month ago, what kind of maybe indicators do you kind of look for now at this point in the year and not getting ready for the first game? For me, it's just their mentality. You know, I've been on some of the younger guys that – maybe have been reading a lot of y'all stuff y'all put out there and they're excited and oh my god you know the season's 30 days away and then they act a little bit different at practice and then I have to you know pull out the mean coach Godwin and say hey get locked back in because we need you to be good at practice today I think that's the biggest thing for me is just the mentality of our guys and and I know people think I'm crazy but the reason we have success is because we coach our guys minds the most and if you they're not right in their mind or in their heart, then they're not going to be the best version of themselves when it comes to being a talented baseball player. How much of that is in the type of player, I guess, type of person you recruit um, as much as it is, you know, developing that? Because I'm sure as a coach and as a recruiter, you see the killer mindset that's able to lock in as much as you see a a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, Is that kind of one of the things that you really look for when you're recruiting? Well, we try to, but it, it's tough. You know, uh, during COVID, we were watching videos, so it's tough to it's tough to figure that out. Um, 
Did we know that Alec Burleson was a competitor? Yeah, we did. Uh, Connor Norby wasn't Connor Norby until his junior year, and he had to grow up a whole lot. Carson Wisenhunt, I'm watching him speak a minute ago, and I'm like, oh, my God, like three years later, this guy has grown up a whole lot. It's just really cool to see, and the credit goes to our coaching staff and the way we just continue to cultivate our culture here. And they grow up, and the older guys just pass along their experiences and go, hey, look, like this stuff works if you'll just buy into it. So we try to recruit that, but it's not its not that we can. I mean, um, a funny story about Connor Norby, and, and we've talked about this a lot, but he came to camp. And on Sunday was day two of camp, and, and the first base dugout, our hitting indoor used to be behind the first base dugout before the new Walter Williams and Marie Williams hitting indoor was built. And I was like, Norbs, how you doing this morning? He said, I'm tired. And I was like, oh, my God. And I walked over to Coach Palumbo. I go, we're, we're not recruiting this guy because I can't coach somebody that's tired and he's playing in front of us. The next weekend, he's playing over at Pitt Community College. And Jeff said, hey, uh, Norby's playing over at Pitt Community College. And he goes, I think you need to go see him. I said, I'm going to go watch one at bat. I'm going to watch one at bat, and then I'm going home. And so his first at bat, he hit a home run, and I said, well, I guess we'll try to work this out. <laughs> uh, speaking of second base, who's kind of competing there? Could get a shot there with Norby gone. You want me to go ahead and go around the starting lineup? Go, go around while you're talking about it. So uh, if we play tomorrow, and just to get it out there, if we play tomorrow, uh, I think we're deeper at catcher than we've ever been. But if we played tomorrow, Ben Newton would start behind the plate. And this is – we hadn't even scrimmaged yet. So, But Ben would start. Uh, A-Mac would start at third. Ryder would start at short. Uh, Zach would play second. And part of that reason is Jacob Starling still trying to get through a leg injury that he had in uh, the summer. Uh, Joey Barini's a lot better um, on the infield, and he can bounce around shortstop, second base. Zach, of course, can play all three. Uh, first base would be Josh Mullen. Um, Josh has done a really good job of shaping up his body and becoming a better defender. Uh, also, C.J. Boyd can play first base. He's kind of a utility guy. Cam Clonch is a guy that can play first base or in the outfield. And then the outfield is, is crowded. Uh, Riley Johnson played really well in the fall. Um, Bryson played well. Bryson's going to be somewhere out there. Lane Hoover is going to be somewhere out there. And then you got Carter Cunningham, who has really upped his game defensively, swung the bat really well. So on any given day, you could see any of those guys um, out there. Ryan McChrystal, who is a catcher along with Aiden Edwards and Justin Wilcox, and I, I could see all those guys playing in some capacity as well. McChrystal has uh, shown us at times he can be an elite bat, so he can be in the DH role as well. You mentioned Starlin. Anybody else dealing with injuries or health, health issues right now? Nothing, nothing, um, nothing other than a sore arm here or there, but nothing else, yep. You want another rotation too? You're waiting for that? Uh, so there's five guys that coming out of the fall that did a really good job. You know, Wisenhunt did not pitch, but obviously Wisenhunt's in that mix. Uh, Cooch is in that mix. Logish and Sailor, they were the two guys coming out of the fall for me that really made me feel more comfortable about our rotation. And then Josh Groves showed flashes. So opening weekend we can only start three guys and in our program we talk about having Friday night guys in 
the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday roles. So whenever your name's called to start, yeah, be that Friday night guy. But two of those guys are probably in the bullpen open a weekend. So we'll just kind of see how all that stuff shakes out. Mayhew, of course, is going to be in the back end of the bullpen in some capacity. And Skylar Brooks has really come along. And the freshmen, and I'm not going to sit here and name all the freshmen, but the freshmen have done a really good job of continuing to develop on the mound. Coach Knight's done a great job with those guys. And like I said, they're talented. They just need to take it one pitch at a time and not try to do too much. That is Cliff Goblin. Again, eighth year as ECU baseball head coach. Hard to believe it's been that long. But he will be coaching his eighth season at his alma mater this spring. His right-hand man is Jeff Palumbo. He's been the associate head coach since Cliff Godwin's arrival. or He's basically been that. He got that title a few years ago. But uh, he's always been Cliff Godwin's right-hand man. And here is Jeff Palumbo, who works with the infielders. Also does a little bit of everything. Obviously in charge of recruiting. Does a tremendous job on the recruiting trail. So we asked Jeff Palumbo a lot about recruiting, infielders, and more. Here's Coach Palumbo. Original guys here that first came in with them. Just how have you maybe seen this thing evolve from day one to now as far as the culture, kind of the philosophy of BC baseball since your arrival? Yeah, I think um, a, a good bit. You know, it's interesting because obviously Coach and I coached together down at, at Central Florida. And – you know, it's one of those things when we we're both assistants together and you get, you know, he, he asked me to come come here to East Carolina with him and had, had been here as a, you know, played against East Carolina in the past, coached against them and obviously knew a little bit about the program, but not, you know, until you get in here and you see the passion of the fan base and, and you really live it daily. Um, you, you really don't know, you know, exactly what goes into it. But, you know, coming here with Coach, we just day one kind of set out to, hey, obviously a, a fantastic tradition and how can we take it to the next level? And uh, I think at first we kind of had an idea of where we wanted to go with it and, and Coach being a first-time head coach, even though we had that relationship from UCF, I still think now he's a head coach, now I'm an assistant, and there was a dynamic where – we started out, hey, just going out and, and trying to find the best possible players we could. As it evolved, I think it turned into how can we find players that fit our culture and what Coach Godwin really wanted to establish. And I think, I, I think you know, even even Coach would probably tell you that as we evolved and, and he evolved, has evolved as a head coach, that's that's become you know, he just kind of mentioned to you guys really really important in, in today's teams and today's players. So. As a recruiting coordinator, now my job was to figure out, hey, what players fit, you know, fit here every day with coach, with the culture that he wants to establish. And um, I think over time, obviously, we've communicated a ton about that and seen, you know, trial and error, right? I mean, you guys have seen players, you know, I think we do a really good job. Obviously, coach does a fantastic job of, um, you know, developing the players once they're here. And we don't have a lot of turnover compared to a lot of other programs. And I think, you know, we try to do to start that process early in the recruiting process to figure out who fits. So when they do get here, um, you know, they know what they're getting into. And we try to be very upfront with them in the recruiting process. Uh, obviously, you know that uh, Coach Godwin doesn't really uh, – he's pretty transparent usually. So he, they, they kind of – he's that way with the, the, the families as well. So they know, hey, listen, he tells every recruit that, hey, you're going to work hard here. I'm going to push you to be great in the classroom, on the field, um, you know, in all areas of your life. And he tells them, sometimes I cringe in the office, but he'll tell them, hey – 
if you don't want that, don't come here, you know. And so I'm, you know, kind of sit back there and I'm like, all right, you know. But the reality is when they do get here, they know they know what they're getting into and, and they know what we do here on a daily basis. And I think, um, you know, that's probably the biggest, you know, process that has evolved here o- over time. And, you know, with success, obviously, with, with growth and, and, and the support, you know, the, the facilities growing, you know, all of those things have helped. But I think in terms of day-to-day in our program, I would say the development of the culture and just trying to really, we, we, we now eight years into it together, know, know that uh, those personalities are going to fit here. So I think that's really helped us. Does building that culture maybe stem from maybe previous stops where you've seen opponents or even teams you've been on that didn't have that, that solid tradition kind of fall apart? Was that kind of a driver into wanting to build something like this? Yeah, I, I think that I think really, um, you know, today's today's players, the, the the cultures that they kind of come up through is a lot different, you know, than when, when Coach and I played. And um, it, it's become, you know, right or wrong, the atmosphere that these players come up in in travel baseball. And, and not to say that there's not really good travel baseball coaches and high school coaches, but it, it really is a little bit more um, – you know, of, of a me approach, you know, in, in the way they come up through the game. And so, you know, that, that really doesn't work at any high level of, of athletics, you know. And so when they get to us and all of a sudden they're not the best player, they're they're having to look up to players that are three, four years older than them, and they're having to adjust and handle adversity. Um, if you don't help them with that process, and as Coach said, kind of coach their minds, um, you're going to have a lot of a lot of turnover and a lot of failure. So um, I, I think it's just the evolution of seeing these guys, what they come up up through. Obviously, our own experiences as a coaching staff, and um, again, some trial and error here. But really, I think it's uh, just the nature of if, if you look across the landscape of really any high level of athletics usually great cultures sustain success and so i think when when you look up and you really evaluate and and you kind of analyze those things in a lot of ways you want to emulate that how much has covid and technology changed recruiting over the last few years it's completely a different animal than it was even 10 years ago yeah i think you know Thankfully, in some ways, it's kind of gone back to, to normal with with our with baseball. You know, I can't speak for other sports, but in terms of COVID, uh, the the data obviously from what we analyze, what we look at, you know, really in terms of player development, but also recruiting, right? You know, it's it's like anything else. If there's more information that you can tap into to try to figure out, hey, listen, this this player is going to have success at our level, and it's going to translate into you know, success, then, you know, it's just one more kind of check of the box, right? You know, and, and we really, in, in in recruiting, I try to keep it pretty simple. You know, I think this kind of starts with Coach Godwin and the culture that he wants, but really I, I tell every recruit and every family we want three things. One, obviously players that are talented enough to help us help us win a national championship. Um, you know, two, that, hey, listen, academically, um, you, you understand and, and you value your education. Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean every player is going to be a 4.0 that we recruit, but that you value it and you're going to want to be pushed. You know, and the third, that you're a good person. And if we can get 35 guys in that locker room that have those three attributes, um, you know, and, and, and kind of live that daily, it's going to be pretty easy to be consistent. You know, and I think I, I tell recruits all the time the the thing that I think we're most proud of here is. 
no, we haven't gotten to Omaha, haven't won the national championship, but if you look across the last seven years that we've been here, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a whole lot of schools that have been more consistent than we have at, at this level. So, you know, we're very proud of that. I think it starts with our recruiting and um, carries over to it, but the data and, and, and all those things are um, just one, kind, one, one other area that we kind of analyze in the process. Do you tend to recruit more multi-sport athletes growing up versus some that only specialize in baseball? We definitely like that. And I, I think that stems from Coach Godwin, right? You know, his his past, right? Playing three sports in high school. I played, you know, a couple sports in high school. So I think just probably our personal experiences lend itself to that's something that we, we value and, and the overall really, uh, again, um, with that, the more sports you play, the more uh, competitive environments that you're you're a part of. Usually, those players, right, are just more competitive, you know, naturally, you know, and they, they learn that right as as they go. And again, in travel baseball now, it's a lot of show up, and um, you're automatically just by paying a fee, you're in the national championship when you show up. And you know, back when when our staff was was playing, it was right, whether it was American Legion or Babe Ruth, you had to win, you had to win your 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 area, and then you had to make the All Star team and then you had to win the states and if you won that you got to go the way to the regionals and you won that you got a chance to go to the world series but you had to earn it yeah you had to earn your way and invest a lot of time into it and um you know t- today's uh players in our world really they don't get that unless it, unless their high school team is a, a pretty good high school team and they get a chance to, to evolve through the state playoffs so you know they don't experience that and, and so I think the the uh, the guys that play multiple sports athletically they're putting their bodies in different situations and, and tend to develop quicker but also they're developing that competitive nature which we certainly value with your work with the infielders you know when you look at Zach maybe transition from third to second and also AMAC working on his defense how do those two guys kind of yeah, I, th- I think um, that they're first of all they're awesome to work with. You know, uh, you know, and obviously all of our guys are. But you know, you look across our infield, we're pretty versatile this year. We play a lot of different positions, a lot of different guys, in a lot of different spaces, and. The fact that Zach pitches and Ryder pitches, you know, we're probably going to use those guys, you know, in all of those spots. So, you know, Amac, he's come in and from day one, he's done a really nice job developing at third base. He actually played a little bit of second base in the fall, which I think ultimately will help him, you know, just having to learn. I don't know how much he'll play there this spring, but having to learn that position, it's just going to help him, you know, even when he's over at third base, kind of knowing what that guy's thinking over there, where I need to put this double play feed, things of that nature. But Zach, so I mean, he's he's a very good athlete. He can play all three, and he, he really feels comfortable in all three. It's it's you know really it's one of those things that Zach is in in my opinion you know one of the best probably the best third base you know that third baseman that I've coached defensively. So it's a pretty challenging position. I'd say it's one of the harder positions probably on the field. You, you know, really defensively at the college level, just with the the bats you know the ball's coming at you you know pretty firm and and just his athleticism over there some of the plays he's he's made um you know I think the transition to seconds probably going to be pretty pretty easy for him just he's going to have some more time over there but he's really good with a double play turn that comes pretty naturally to him and um again just having the ability to play all all three of those things gives us a ton of a ton of flexibility and on a coach just laid out you know the you know, starting lineup as of, of today. And I think, you know, you could put Zach at any of those three positions and feel very, very comfortable as a coach. And finally, we round out our interviews with new pitching coach Austin Knight. Austin has been with the program a few years, but this is his first year as a full-time coach. He was previously the volunteer assistant. 
He now will move into the pitching coach role that Jason Dietrich vacated when he took the job at Cal State Fullerton. And I was very impressed with Coach Knight. I've always been impressed by him. Here is his full interview, though, as you guys can get a chance to learn him or learn from him as he talks about pirate pitchers that are returning, the new faces, and more. Here is Austin Knight, new pitching coach. Coach, what's been the biggest adjustment for you? Obviously, you worked with the pitchers last year, going more to the, the full-time year as a pitching coach. What's, what's been that adjustment, or what's that adjustment been like for you? You know, I, I think it's actually simplified a lot, just from the standpoint of uh, it's more of a singular focus now. Uh, in the past, could have been working with the catchers and pitchers and hitters at times, and really that's been every stop along the way for me in, individually is always – really worked with as many position players and, and as much as I could. And now when I show up to work, I know that my job is I'm going to go and do everything I can to make these pitchers as, as good as they possibly can be and to make sure that they're prepared mentally, obviously physically. Um, so it's really, I think, made things more singular and uh, just clarified a, a little bit more. Yeah. Which of the uh, young guys have stood out to you so far this year? You know, really they've all – They've all developed pretty well. Uh, in the fall, it was Merritt Beaker and Jake Hunter had the best falls of, of freshman force. And really that was because they're throwing multiple pitches in the zone immediately. And they had the right mentality and, and did the things that we asked. Um, but with falls, there's always good and bad in falls. And I think that failure in the fall is as important as succeeding in the fall and learning how to handle that. And I think with a lot of these freshmen is they've, they've learned what they need to do to be ready to compete on a daily basis or on a weekly basis and really learn how to handle themselves on the mound. You know, at times, those guys come here and they're trying to earn a position. They're trying to compete for a position, and they kind of make the moment bigger than it needs to be. And so I think with a lot of these freshmen and the, the mental side of what we do, they have learned how to be more in control of themselves when they're on the mound. And really going into the spring, you're just looking for a good transition period with those guys and understanding that it's not life or death out there. Just take what you've been doing early in the spring and apply it on the on the mound whenever we're in a competitive scenario with facing actual hitters. So, um, But I've been happy with really the, the development of them all. I think that they've made really big strides so far. How do you help a guy like Jake Huge Manor bounce back from a tough spring? I think it's just being positive and building his confidence back up. Um, you know, early, early in the fall, it was making sure he knew that we all believe in him and we know the type of pitcher that he can be. And we cleaned some things up mechanically, and he, he's made a jump. You know, he's made a jump as far as just pure stuff goes. And then with Cooch, he's, he's a very high achiever. You know, he's a guy that really expects a lot of himself. So just simplifying his approach a little bit and just knowing that his stuff is good enough to get any, any hitter in the country out. And I think he saw that at times this fall, but I think that you're going to see a, a, another jump in, coming into the springtime just from the standpoint that he's just more mature. He's kind of re recognized what gets him into a good place mentally to go out there and compete on a daily basis. Coach said he saw a little bit of uptick in velocity in the fall. I know that's never been his game, but mm -hmm. have you seen that? maybe sustain it was early this, this preseason, but is that something you can sustain? Yeah, so far this spring, whenever we have brought out the radar gun, it hasn't been a much yet. It's been the same. It's been the same. And, and the thing that I, I like seeing with him is just how well he's moving down the mound and staying athletic, but also still commanding, you know, three pitches in the strike zone. It's not like he's overthrowing or, you know, mechanically doing too much. 
it, it looks easy for him. If you watch him from the side, it's, it looks like he's playing catch, but he's just learning how to utilize his body. The thing about Cooch is he's always been one of the strongest guys on our pitching staff, you know, in, in the weight room. And I think just kind of breaking him down and figuring out, hey, man, like maybe you're, you're neglecting this or maybe we need to work harder on this was really important for him. And then it was just one day this fall. I remember we were working on it, and we had the Rap Soto, which is a technology deal that we won't get into too much. But um, we had that on there, and you saw an 88 on there, and I'm like, do that again. <laughs> Very simply, just do that again. And then he started learning, right? He started learning from there, like, my body moves this way and I get more out of it whenever I do X, Y, and Z. And so, I, you know, he's, he held it the entire fall. And in the early spring, he's replicated that so far. So really happy with where he's at. We talk about the distractions of the rankings, but when you have a guy like Carson Luthan Hunt that has pro aspirations and that's been written about, you know, quite a bit, how do you handle him going into the season? Yeah, the thing about Carson is he has matured so much. Even he's a, even a different guy today than he was at the beginning of the spring last year. And uh, it, it's just keeping him on track, man, just keeping the, the daily focus of, hey, this is what I've got to do today. This is what's going to make me great when it's all said and done. And it's not that easy, right? It's in front of their faces every every day. And it's making sure that he knows, man, like you have to just continue to work and put your head down and not buy into that stuff. And I've seen that just from the standpoint of, you know, he takes a lot of pride in his development at this point. Uh, this fall, we, we shut him down. We didn't even let him pitch, let him throw. And, you know, credit to our strength coach, Dennis Wilson. He put on 15 pounds of, of muscle and kept his range of motion, kept his flexibility. And you're seeing him, he just looks very explosive. And I think day by day, he's very focused on what he can do to continue to improve. It's not, hey, man, I've, I've made it because all this stuff is coming out, which as we, we all know, it doesn't mean anything right now. But he is very focused on his daily work and his bullpens are very intense right now. And the thing with Carson is more about him being able to handle it emotionally, which he's much more equipped to do now than he was probably a year ago. Um, but I, I've been very pleased with where he's at as well. You mentioned uh, handling emotionally. That seems to be the biggest question, I guess, for most young pitchers. So with so many young, talented guys, is this preseason about how will you handle it emotionally, or is that something like you can't really find out until maybe they, they see a game setting? Yeah, I think that there's always uh, clues. You know, I think that you can see it in, in inner squads. And, yeah, it goes another level, and it's, it's about just making sure that they are aware of it and teaching them how to handle it, and that's where the mental game comes in. But that's really what I'm looking for. You know, we, we talk a lot about roles, and, and those things will take care of themselves from a weekend rotation and closers and all that. The main thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing these guys do in the three weeks leading up to the season is just handle the moment, handle themselves, be in control of themselves on the mound, and be able to handle whether it's you know positive things happening or, or negative things happening. What are your routines like? Are you getting good breaths? Are you clearing the, the negatives and getting back to work? And that's what will be evaluated on most in the, in the spring. And um, yeah, th those are the things that, of course, translate into the spring as long as they're aware of what's going on. Soto, how much do you delve into the analytics as a pitching coach? Like, do you use it just as something to, to help you 
maybe see something or do you like fully dive into it, immerse yourself into it? What do you I, think, I think it comes in waves. You know, when, when the guys show up here in the fall, we're not diving much into the technology because we talk about our culture. Well, it's my job as the pitching coach to make sure that our mentality and the culture backs up exactly what Coach Goblin's preaching on a daily basis. So I want to see the mound presence. I want to see the mentality on the mound. I want to see us attacking the strike zone, different things like that. Whenever I feel like guys are evolving, then we'll dive more into it. Now, me specifically, I, I look at them after every outing, really every bullpen that we have out there, but it's not always something that I'm sharing with the players. But it helps It helps me just to clarify, like, you know, like with the Garrett Saylor, per se, um, this fall, you know, he's always been a four-seam, two-seam. Well, we, we scrapped his four-seam right through all two-seamers all fall, and you saw a lot, a lot of positive impact from just that move, him being able to use his fastball a lot more effectively. And um, it's just more so like, yeah, th this looks good behind the mound. Let me make sure that this looks good from a number standpoint. It makes sense to each guy. Um, it's something that you have to be well-versed in, you know, because if not, you're neglecting a side of it that is important, but it's not everything. How important is the next two, three weeks, even the first couple series of the year, and getting these guys built up so that they can do this 60 games, this further than 60 games, which the guys are hoping that you can get to. It's huge. You know, it's really important to see these guys really stay on track with what they've done. And we've been building them up really since December from just an arm perspective. But it does add an, another element whenever you're facing hitters and the, the stress level is a little bit up and the the intensity of it is a little bit up. So you're really looking to see guys bounce back, you know, and that's the, the value of Cam and Bridgie and those guys last year were that they were able to take the ball whenever we needed them to. And so seeing those guys kind of transition to those roles and those are things that we'll work on early in the, in the spring and, of course, into the early parts of the, of the season is just identifying who can pitch multiple times a weekend. Of course, the starters that can pitch deep into the games and different things like that. But I think it's important, of course, from the standpoint of knowing who we can go to consistently and know what we're going to get out of. But I think it's important for their confidence as well. As baseball has evolved, you notice a difference in you just mentioned going deep in the game. Have you noticed a difference it, at this level, or are we still seeing those ace guys go seven, eight? Um, I'm new here, so I don't know right. as far as this program. I think it just depends. You know, uh, the thing that we're not going to do in this program is leave our best bullets in the bullpen just to ride somebody out and uh, see what we can get out of them. So it just depends on how effective they are deeper in the game, what their pitch count's at. Do we feel like we have a better matchup in the bullpen at certain at certain places? Now there's times, you know, you look at Gavin Williams in the Super Regional, he pitched into the eighth, and it was actually his longest outing of the season last year, um, but he was effective still. You know, he was still getting really good results. And so if that guy is still effective, deep in the game, then sure, there's no reason to, to go to the bullpen. But you, you guys know it. You guys have obviously watched this play a lot. We're not going to leave somebody out there to dry and, and hope that he can get them out. We're going to go with the best educated decision and not leave our best bullets in the pen. With, with Nick Logish, he seems to be a guy that has made a big jump this offseason. What, what has led to that? Is it, is it command? Uh, is it mindset? What was really led to that? It's, it's really everything. You know, he went off this summer and took a lot of pride in himself and developing himself first mentally. And he's a guy that's always been really wrapped up in pitching. It's always been very important to him, but uh, it, it always hasn't been like a high level of mentality, being able to handle the game per se. And I think the most important thing that he did was he self-evaluated and said he needed to get better in some areas. 
and he went out and, and figured it out this summer. And so really the best thing that I've done for Nick Logish is just let him be Nick Logish since he's been back and just let him just handle the game the way that he needs to handle it. And uh, you've seen it. He, he handles the game. He handles situations way better. He's way more calm and poised. He understands what it takes to make pitch-to-pitch adjustments. And in that, the command has gotten way better and with multiple pitches. And um, that's with Nick, it's just continuing to understand who he is and what it takes for him to get into that mindset. That is off tonight, and that'll do it for our interviews and our coverage of Media Day. Again, great event put on by East Carolina Baseball. It's always put on. It's always a class act every year, and uh, the guys do a tremendous job with it, from Malcolm Gray, who runs and coordinates the whole thing, to Cliff Goblin, who does a great job of molding young men in his program. So first-class event for a first-class program. Looking forward to the season. We'll continue to bring you more coverage leading up to the season, as always, on Hoist of Colors and on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back with our next episode later this week. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.